0: word when received by faith changes things your word is powerful father and we believe it so we pray this morning lord that hearts would be receptive minds would be attentive and father we'll take opportunity this morning to come one step closer to our destiny in christ we thank you father in jesus name that truly all things do work together for our good And you are working out eternal things in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen? Well, this morning we're going to finish up what we started four weeks ago. I guess this is the fifth week. I'm talking about divine destiny and reminding you who you are in Christ. And as we get started this morning, I want to start by asking you a question. How many of you have ever misplaced something And then totally forgot you had it. I mean, so totally you forgot that when you found it, it was like, oh, my God. I forgot I had this. Anyone? Let me see your hands again. I want to make sure I'm not the only one that's ever done that. Okay. my question is, this is. When you forgot that you had it, did it add any value or benefit? To your life? Was it of any help at all? When you had totally forgotten it? No, it was yours the whole time. But it didn't bless you in the least. And you never even went searching for it because you had forgot it. Well, over the last four weeks, we've been talking about who we are in Christ. We appeared normal, but we're abnormal. Right? There, there's, there's, there's a life inside of us that natural man does not see, but just because natural man does not see it does not negate the fact that it's there. Now, of all the things we've talked about in the last four weeks, if you forget it, when you go out into the world and you face the obstacles, the storms, the cares of life rise up, You forget everything you've heard. How much value will it be to you? What benefit will it do you? It's still truth and it still has the power to set free. It just won't set you free. Because you have forgot about it. So this morning, the title of this message is don't forget. Go with me, if you would, to the book of James. And this is where I want to start. We're going to read James, chapter one, verses twenty four and twenty five. I'm reading it to you out of the Passion Translation. And I'm quite confident in prophesying there will be some rabbits this morning. But I'll chase them. James, chapter one. Verse twenty four, the Passion Translation says you perceive which means to become aware of conscience of how God sees you in the mirror of the word. But then you go out. And forget your divine origin. Now. Most translations, they'll say you forget what manner of man you are or what kind of man you are, but put them together and you get a really great glimpse of truth here is, and everyone look at me because I'm going to keep it real for a moment because I know we live in one mixed-up culture. Any society that believes there's a 100-plus different genders is messed up. Okay? Identity is established at the point of birth, right? And so what James is saying is, You go out and you forget your divine origin in forgetting your divine origin. You forget what kind of man you are, what kind everyone say kind. Because listen, if if you're born a puppy. Then a puppy thou art, you might identify as a cat, but bro, you're a dog. Right. If you're born a chimpanzee. You might dream of being a silverback gorilla, and you might identify as a silverback gorilla, but, bro, you're a chimpanzee, because what kind you are is established at birth. Now, you know where I could go with this, right? If you're born again of divine origin, if you're born again of divine origin, identity is established at the point of origin. That makes you. Divine. Right now, I'm not saying you're God, don't. But if the moon has no light of its own. Does that make a full moon any less glorious? No, it's still a wonder to behold, even though it reflects the glory of the sun. When we fully reflect the glory of the Son, S-O-N, that doesn't make what he's done in our lives any less glorious. You're still a wonder to behold. But you have to make sure you don't forget and pretend to be something you're no longer. Is this making sense? You know, in John, first rabbit, coming out, John chapter 3, Jesus was talking to a religious leader named Nico. You might know him as Nicodemus, but those of us who are familiar with him, we just call him Nick. Nicodemus met Jesus late at night and said, you're, you're clearly of God because no one does miracles unless they come from God. And Jesus began to talk to Nicodemus about being born again. And Nicodemus said, I don't get it. How can a gray haired old man crawl back up in his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, Nico, you ain't getting it. Unless a man is born of both water, say first birth and spirit, say second birth, he'll not even see the kingdom of God. Because Jesus went on to say that which is natural gives birth to Natural, meaning at the first birth, you became a natural kind of man. But that which is spirit gives birth to. Meaning the second birth, you 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 underwent a biological impossibility. I've got a message I teach called the 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 biology of Christianity and what makes Christ. You see, Christianity is not just a moral code. You hear this all the time. It's not just about behaving good. It's not about talking in church lingo. It's it's not about what you wear or don't wear. It's not about coming to church in a suit or not coming That doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is having a brand new nature imparted to you undergoing something that is in the natural realm, completely impossible by biologically speaking, one species cannot cross the border and enter into another kingdom. A lion. Cannot become a tree. It might admire the tree. It might want to fellowship with the tree. It might want to hang out with the tree and stay in the shade of the tree. But a lion can never become a tree because a tree is a part of another kingdom. And you can go out and you can cut a shrub to make it look like a flamingo, but it's never going to become a bird. Because it's part of another kingdom. But Jesus comes along and through the miracle of the new birth, he does something that can has never been done before. You were transferred out of one kingdom and you became a part of another kingdom. And the Bible says that what that means is you be old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You've become a brand new species. This is why Jesus is saying You've got to be born again. You've got to become a different species so you can become part of a different kingdom. Now, when you become part of that other kingdom, don't forget your divine origin. Because if you forget that you have a divine origin, it's completely possible. Y'all listening? It's completely possible to have a divine origin and behave as if you're nothing but a natural man. Limited to natural man. not able to benefit from everything that comes by the divine origin. Because like James says, you go out and when the cares of the world rise up, see, you come to church, you hear something about what God has done in your life and you get all excited about it and you go to work expecting everything to be different Monday morning. And you go there and you find out you're working with the same boneheads you were working with on Friday. You still got the same problems, the same things, because you expected your environment to change, but the kingdom of God is within you. You see, it's not about God changing your circumstances. It's about God changing you. And then you go and attack those circumstances with a completely different mindset. But when you hear these truths and then you go out and you discover it's the same old, same old. You can forget. and when you forget it adds no benefit to you this is why being born again is huge because it gives you another point of origin your identity is reestablished and redefined let's go ahead and read second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 now if anyone everyone say anyone This works for every man, every woman, no matter what country they come from, no matter what their ethnicity is, no matter what their economics are. If anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order, the old kingdom has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. What does that mean to you? What it ought to mean is this everything that used to confine you, everything that used to define you, everything that used to hinder you, every addiction, every hang up, every disease, every sin, everything that used to say this is all you are and you'll never become more than this. All of that has passed away. It's gone, meaning it no longer has any influence over you. Which is why when you know who you are in Christ, you can say like the Apostle Paul did that I am dead to sin. I'm not I'm not I'm not bound to sin. Hello. I'm, I'm dead to sin. I, I'm free from those things. Why? Because of the re- the the redemptive realities of what Christ has made me. I might look like the old Paul. I might speak the same language as the old Paul, but I'm not the old Paul. I have a brand new nature, and when that nature comes out, then it begins to infect your and affect your environment. But it's not going to alter your environment until it alters you. Is this okay? Whatever defined you in the past now has no influence. First, John, Chapter five. Verse four, I forgot to set my timer, y'all. You're bad. Not my bad, you're bad. 1 John, chapter five, verse four. I'm going to read this to you out of two different translations. The first one, the New American Standard. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Listen to this out of the living version. For everyone born of God, overcomes the world and the victory that has overcome the world is this, our faith. If you are born of God, meaning you have a divine origin, you come out from God. Then that means you are an overcomer. You might feel at times overwhelmed. But that doesn't define you. You may go through a struggle, but that doesn't define you. You might go through a hard time, but that doesn't define you. Everyone say, I am, I say it like you mean it. I am an overcomer. I overcome because that's what overcomers do. Overcoming every obstacle, every enemy, everything that confronts you is natural to you. As long as you hold on to your faith and your faith. Identifies you, you believe every word that God has said about you, so that means you believe you're destined for dignity. You remember the message? That means you believe you're destined to finish that. Whatever you put your hands to, you've got what it takes to see it through. You can finish your race, not weak, not stumbling across the finish line. You can finish strong. bro. you can come across the finish line, having finished everything that God put in front of you to do because you have the power to finish. You are destined for dignity. Meaning you don't live low level. You don't live like an animal. You don't live like a beast of the field. You are a creature of dignity. And who you are is reflected in what people see about you. You behave in a dignified manner. Not because I'm trying to have a higher moral code. It's because of who I am. Is this making sense? And you don't forget these things. So when they're challenged, you can remind yourself. I might be going through this, but this isn't who I am. You are an overcomer. Never forget that. Now, let's go back to James. James chapter one, and I want to finish reading verse 25. The first verse 24 was the man who saw himself in the word in the law of liberty Became momentarily fascinated by what he saw. But when he went out into the world, one translation says he's straight away. It means immediately. It was choked out of him. He forgot what manner of man he was. But there's another man, and this is in verse 25. James says this, but he's about to contrast the second with the first. The first was a forgetter. But there's another one. See, we, we, you don't have to forget these things. You can know that you know that you know you're greater than your struggle. You can know that you know that you know that you have a great life ahead of you. You can know that you know that you know that God is for you and not against you. You can know these things. So when life is contrary, you can say no, because I know. And so you don't succumb to the pressures of life. See, none of these things that I teach you are going to insulate you from a struggle. I wish I could give you some magic potion that would make life a Navarna for you, that just a perfect utopian, you would hear Tiny Tim singing tip throw to the tulips. But there is no such word. You're going to go through struggles. And there's going to be a war and there's going to be battles and there's going to be half times when you are going to have to push yourself to believe. But if you won't forget what God has said about himself, about his love for you and about who you are in him, you will win each and every time because all things work together for your good, not for your demise. And God has never ordained you to misery. He saved you from sin to save you from misery. Is this making sense to you? But, verse 25, James 1, there are those, and I added that, there are those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty, are fascinated by and respond. Now, that's an important word, and we're going to come back to that they're fascinated by, and they respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They, not the former, but this one, experiences God's blessings in all that they do. Is it in the Word? And if it's written, you don't have to wonder if it's true. If it's written, our uncertainty is unnecessary. I want to give you now three ways to remind yourself three ways. And we're going to come back to that word respond in just a moment. Three things you can do to make sure you don't ever forget who God is, how great his love is for you and who you are in Christ. These are the three things you must know. Number one, make notes. From the very beginning, God trained his people to be note takers. From the very beginning, he trained them to take notes of what he has done. Now, their notes came in the form of things they would wear, things they would put in their house, things they'd put on their doorpost. They would build wells. They'd build altars. But it would be hard in the Jewish culture to go through your day and not somewhere, somehow, see a reminder of what God has done and how you are his special people. Now, there's a reason why God insisted that they be note takers. Because when they're fighting the Philistines and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, it'd be easy to forget they are God's favorites. So they would have to have what would be called memorials. Memorials is a huge word in the Bible. In fact, listen to this verse in Exodus chapter 17. Just a portion of it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua. Write it down and recite it. See, there was a time, I think, but especially in the Word of Faith camp where Pastor Deborah and I come from, we were notorious, infamous. For cluttering our mirrors with sticky notes that said who God was, how great he loved us, and who we were. And I say was, but we still is. In fact, our house is cleaned up a little bit because our parents are with us. But when they leave, the sticky notes are going back up. And I'll have to bend down, look up and slightly to the left to see my reflection in the mirror, because there'll be a hundred different notes on my mirror that says God loves you. Don't stop dreaming. He's with you. He's for you. You're close to your miracle and you just can't walk through my house and not be reminded. Can I encourage you for have a little clutter in your house? Don't be so worried about being clean and forgetting. It's better to be cluttered and remember so that when you're walking down your hallway, you see a note that says, Hey, I know you're going through it, but God loves you. And then when you take a couple more steps, there's another note that says, I know you're going through it, but all things work together for your good. And when you're struggling with the disease, there's a one that says, he is the Lord, thy healer. You got to be reminded of these. So the pain doesn't become greater than the revelation of who he is, how great his love is for you. And who you are in him, because you are more than what it appears to the natural eye. Because you've been born again of divine origin. Don't forget that. So be a note taker. If you want to remember, you've got to make note of it. And the truth is, can we just keep it real for a second? If you're not willing to make notes of it, it's because you don't care to remember. If you want to remember, make notes. Especially in a time of struggle, you need to be able to recall. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 18, Paul wrote these words to his spiritual son. He said, so, Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility. And I want to stop right there. I'm entrusting you with this responsibility. You see, there's something that You and I need to understand everyone. I want every eye on me. I want you to because I want to know we're connecting when I say this. You become responsible for what you hear. When you hear a truth, you're now responsible. For what you do with it and you'll be held responsible by the Lord Almighty. You can disregard it, call it hogwash. New age false doctrine, idiocy, that's fine. Do whatever you want to do. Listen, I've been called idiots by better people than you. I've had people confront me. They can't ever prove that I'm false scripturally. But what they'll always say is, that's not how I was taught it. And I'll usually say, well, that's not my fault. Right? So you can discount it if you want. That's your ability to respond. You can. You know, y'all know that I, I, I'm horrible with preaching holiday messages. Here's my Christmas message. I'm going to allude to a Christmas message. So this gets me off the hook. In Luke chapter two. We have the narrative of the Messiah coming to Earth and in church after church after church. It's taught as if this was done in secret and it was covert. And but we got to understand we're talking about Jesus Christ, not James Bond, right? So this wasn't covert because angels filled the night sky. There was light. There was song. There was drama. The shepherds went into the city. This is what the Bible says. They went into the city. They found the Christ child, and then they went and told everyone what they had heard. They went throughout the city. There was nothing covert about this. They went throughout the city telling everyone what they heard. And the Bible says that the people who heard it were amazed. That word means they were momentarily fascinated. And the best way I know to illustrate this is, have y'all ever gone to a fireworks show? You know, when that first bomb goes off or whatever you work, whatever you call the thing, that goes up in the air and it blasts and it fills the sky with colors and illumination. And you're like, wow. And then they fire another one off over here. And you're like, ooh. You've totally forgot about the first thing because now something else has grabbed your attention. And the first one was the most amazing thing you'd ever seen in the history of your life until you saw the second thing. And then you saw the third thing. And by the time they get to about number nine or ten, you don't even remember there was a first one. Right. This is how the people were with what they heard. They were absolutely amazed. You mean to tell me? You talked you you heard from angels? Yeah, we heard from angels. What did they say? Tell me again. They a messiah's come? Yeah, the messiah's come. That's what they said. And we actually went and we found the child. You found the child? Yeah, we found the child. I wish I would have found a child. Ooh. Then something else grabbed their attention. And they became so distracted that just a few years later, they totally forgot that there was ever a messiah. They didn't remember this was the one that had been told about just, just a few years before. Is this okay? They forgot. But there was one who didn't forget. The Bible says of Mary, she treasured these things in her heart. She pondered them. She molded over. She kept remembering about his divine origin and her encounter with an angel. And so when it looked like Everything had gone wrong and her promised child was hanging there on a cross. When he'd been mocked and he'd been tormented and he'd been beaten. And her faith was challenged. Where the others had completely forgotten, she remembered because she kept it before her all. See, we we become responsible for what we hear. We can forget, and it adds no value to us. Or we can be more like Mary and say, you know what? I'm going to put sticky notes. I'm going to make notes. I'm not going to forget this so that when it looks contrary, when Pastor told me I would win, and it looks like I'm failing, when he promised me that God would bless me, and it looks like I'm cursed among all men, you won't forget who you actually are and that you can outlast the persecution that the storm will eventually end and you will come out the other side triumphant. Mm. Let's keep reading. Is this OK? Y'all staying with me. We need to learn not so much to be fascinated as fixated on truth. So Paul said this, oh, Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with a responsibility. In keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry. Can I substitute that for life? In keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. Well, Pastor, I never had a prophecy spoken over me. Yes, you have every Sunday when we read the word. That's the surest word of prophecy you'll ever hear. So you receive a prophetic word every time you open the Bible. And he says, Timothy, I'm giving you a responsibility. How are you going to respond to these prophetic words that you've heard and that are now in the process of fulfillment? In keeping with the prophecy spoken over you, listen to this with this encouragement Use your prophecies as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience, for there are many who reject these virtues. They reject these things. What do they reject? They reject waging war with the prophetic words. They're they're not willing to ever recite what God has said. When they're in the struggle, they don't say, this is what God said about me. God said, I'd be the head and not the tail. They never recite. God said, I would be the lender, not the borrower. They never recite what God has said over them. And Paul told Timothy they're destitute of true faith. Because true faith is in the reciting and the remembering of what God has said over you so that when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, you never mistake that for your homeland. When you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, you keep moving because you know that he has set a place called joy before you. And just like your Messiah who pressed through for the joy that was set before him. Don't forget. So if you don't want to forget. Make notes. Number two, say it. Number one, make notes. Number two, say it. Psalm 107, verse 2. All of you know this. Let the redeemed of the Lord think so. Oh, I'm sorry, y'all got that wrong. It says right here, think so. Be silent, never say a word. Oh, okay, whatever. Have it your way, say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. Can I read this to you out of the New Living Translation? Has the Lord redeemed you? That's a question. Has the Lord redeemed you? Has he saved you from sin? Has he ever healed you? Has he ever done anything for you? Has he recreated you? Has he given you a divine origin? Has he made you more than who you used to be? Has he given you a dream? Has he filled you with potential? Has he replaced your ashes for beauty or with beauty? Has he replaced your sorrow with joy? Then speak out. Tell others he has redeemed you from your enemies. We got to learn to say it and we're not saying it in an argumentative. I don't need to convince you because the truth of the matter is, and this is something we all ought to it doesn't really matter what they think of you. So don't work so hard to impress everyone else. And I'm going to get to that in a little bit about those who accuse. It's not trying to win an argument, nor to impress anyone with our biblical knowledge, nor convince you. It's about us saying it because faith always speaks. And it's, it's not about me convincing you. It's about me having the courage to declare that I'm more than who I appear to be because I'm born of almighty God. I know this is the reason why I so rail against, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That irritates me. Because now you're defining yourself according to what you used to be instead of what he's made you. So if the Lord has redeemed you, speak it out, say it, tell others. I ain't broke no more, man. I listen. I know what it is to, to, to drink government milk and to eat government cheese and live in government housing. You, th- I know, I, I, I know. I know what it is to be homeless. I know what it is for my wife and I to have to live on bagels that were delivered to us in a garbage bag. But that ain't who I am. That's what I went through, but that ain't who I am. And no matter what you've gone through, your struggles, your battles, your scars do not define you. And you and I listen, some of us have worn those labels far too long. It's time for you to get some of that goop off. Aka the gospel of Jesus Christ and remove those stickers from your life because you're no longer what they named you. You're no longer what they labeled you. You have the ability to learn. You have the ability to earn. You have the ability to grow. And there's not one thing God has ever said over you. You don't have the ability to accomplish. Hmm. Listen to this. Why should we be ashamed of his work in our lives? Why should we be apologetic for his promises? I want to say that again. Why should we be ashamed? There's a high cost to low-level living. There really is. And when you surrender all of your redemptive privileges to fit in with the religious-minded, hello, there are some people you ought not strive so hard to fit in with. You work too hard to fit in with small people. Let it go and let them go. Hmm. If you want the power of redemption to work for you, then work it by saying it. Don't agree with circumstances. Listen to this. You ready for this? Celine, you got your steel told shoes on? You got them on? Okay. Don't agree with circumstances. It doesn't require any faith to agree with circumstances. Don't agree with the faithless, fearful. It doesn't require any faith to agree with them. Agree with what God has said about you, about your life, and about your destiny. That requires faith. In the book of Philemon, chapter 1, verse 6. This is a very easily overlooked verse, but it is just vitamin packed. I mean, it, it's like a multivitamin. And this is what it says in the King James that the communication, everyone say communication of thy faith may become effectual, say effectual by the acknowledging, say acknowledging three powerful words right here, communication, effectual and acknowledging, acknowledging of what of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you and in Christ Jesus. Now the word communication in the Greek is koinonia. And it literally means fellowship or community. The word effectual is the word energos. It's where we get the word energy. Okay? And the word acknowledging is epignosis. Epignosis means to have full knowledge, a complete knowledge. And acknowledged, meaning spoken knowledge. You following me? So. I want to read this again, and I want to read it to you out of the JMV version. That's the Jimmy Miller version. It's not yet in print. But it's good. Listen to this. When we accept and admit every good thing which is in us by Christ Jesus, we create a synergy of faith within our community. That's what that is saying. That our faith becomes effective not by the acknowledging of what we used to be. Follow me. okay? This is is good right here. If our church becomes, Wanda, we have a strong church when we're all willing to acknowledge who we are in him. But if you only acknowledge that you're a worm and she only acknowledges that she's a sinner and they only acknowledge that they're disease-ridden and they over here say they're always going to be poor, then we don't create a synergy of faith. No, no, no. We become a weak, apathetic, powerless congregation of whiners. But when we're all willing to gather together and say, let me tell you what the Lord has done in my life this week. Let me tell you how he promoted me. He he put me in a place I never could I dreamed but I, I didn't really actually think it would ever happen. And, and this is what the Lord did, you know. And then let me tell you how I used to be addicted to this or that and how I always struggled with this. And I couldn't go online without looking at that. And then one day the Lord just delivered me of it. and He's done all these wonderful things. Let me tell you yes, what the Lord has done. And then the other person's going, I wish you would hurry up because I got something to say, too. And I want to tell you what the Lord has done in my life. And then we got a group of four or five and we're all trying to talk over each other about the glory of God. And it creates a synergy. That's the way church is supposed to be. But when we all sit there and we're just like, when's he ever going to shut up? Doesn't he know the chicken's just about dry? And I'm just about to die. So why should I even try? And the life of God is just. Forgotten. And when it's forgotten, it's of no benefit. So if we want to overcome and we want to remember, because listen, redemption is so grand, you and I ain't even touched it yet. Oh, no, 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 no. This ain't all there is, babe. And I like what Brother Hagin used to say. He said, it ain't just about dying and going to heaven. We're supposed to have a little bit of heaven to go to heaven with right so this is what brother hagen used to teach us and i believe it he said life is life is supposed to be so overwhelmingly good because it's the goodness of god that leads men to repentance and 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 the goodness of god is just filling our lives so that when the day comes and we lay down this mortal body and we step over to the other side it's gooder than what we've ever seen but it's not that much because i had his goodness there this is just like full-blown i had black and white there and this is color it's better but i saw the same picture It's just illustrated so much better here, but you're not supposed to go from whimpering and crying. Death is not meant to be an escape. Death ought to be seen as an unwelcomed intruder. Is this okay? Go to the book of Ephesians chapter four. I know I got to hurry. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, this is what Paul said. Put on the new self. You got to put it on. You got to make a decision. I'm putting on the new self. Which in the likeness of God. Do you see that? Put on the new self. Which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth we need to we need to decide to lay aside the old discard it and put on the new i'm mean, not too long ago i was i was not really fellowshipping but i had a meeting with another preacher and at this time i had hurt my foot and i was wearing that big old ugly ski boot and he took that as an opportunity to kept calling me poor were well, you poor And he would make a comment about my boot. And then he'd look at something and he said, well, just man, you poor thing, you. And he kept saying it over and over. And I finally, you know how diplomatic I am. I finally said, dude, is there someone else in this room I don't see? And he looked at me and said, what do you mean? I said, you keep talking to some poor man. Is there someone else in this room that I don't see? He said, no, 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 it's, it's just an expression. I said, well, it's an expression that don't fit. There ain't nothing poor about me. I ain't poor in my body. I ain't poor in my mind. I'm not poor in my soul. I ain't poor in my pocketbook. So quit. This is what I'm saying. Look, at throw off those labels. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. In every word spoken over you in judgment, you are supposed to condemn. I don't got to be combative, but if you come to me and keep calling me poor, I'm going to ask who you're talking to because you clearly ain't talking to this good looking dude right here because I'm of divine origin. And it's not about being arrogant. It's about being confident because I believe every word of God is true. So I told him, I said, if you keep talking like that, I'm going to just leave the room because you ain't communicating to me. Isaiah chapter 54, I just quoted. Let's go ahead and read it. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Now, listen to this. I don't want to stay on this too long, but we need to understand Listen, just be and I'm not talking about in criminal cases. I'm talking about in everyday life just because somebody accuses you of a thing does not make it true. In fact, I learned long ago, once again, I'm talking about life. I'm not talking if you go out and rob a store and you get accused of burglary, that that's true. You did it. I'm talking about in everyday life. One of the things I learned is friends will inquire, they'll ask questions enemies will jump right into accusation mode. They don't ever ask you why you did what you did. They instantly accuse you of being a racist, a bigot, a homophobe, this-phobe, that-phobe, a liar, a hater, a cheater. They never ask. I've learned that in life, truth very rarely, if ever, comes in the form of an accusation. Lies do. So Isaiah said, every voice that accuses you you shall condemn meaning you need to have the ability to say no that ain't true that ain't true of me it ain't true about me and then when you stand up and you declare what god has said over you god said your vindication will be of me because i'll prove litmus test the, the litmus test of truth is always time give god time and your vindication will come but don't agree with thy accusers Is this making sense? Be willing to say that ain't so. And don't allow the lie to harm you. Okay? So number three, hurrying it up. Act as if. Number one, make notes. Number two, say it. (laughs) Number three, act as if. And the last point will take us full circle to where we started. James chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 22 through 25. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like a po- like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't live out the message you hear, you become like the person who lives who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of the face. Wait, to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go out and forget your divine origin. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth. They hear, they are strengthened by it, they experience God's blessing in all they do. They respond to it. There's a wonderful nugget hidden in First Peter when you read it in the New American Standard. First Peter, it says, act as a free man. I really liked that when I first read it, when I first switched from the King James over to the New American Standard and I read that. It was like I'd never seen it before. Act as a free man. That word act just means to take action. It can also be defined as pretend. Because, see, sometimes when the truth first comes, it's not like it, it's as if it's not real. So don't be afraid of pretending. Pretend to be free. Pretend to be kind. Pretend to be loving. Pretend to be forgiving. Pretend to be generous. Hey, try this. Pretend to be happy. And you might discover if you pretend long enough, that's who you really are. It just seemed odd at first because you've spent so many years living A lie that when truth comes it's almost like it don't fit but if you'll just act like a free man pastor what do you mean by this when the Lord says you're free or you're blessed or whatever it is he says of you if he says you're blessed the question is what would a blessed man do then pretend to be blessed right when you go out to lunch with someone don't have to use the bathroom as soon as the check comes That's what a poor person does. If you're blessed, then you may have never done this before in your life. There's a first time for everything. Pretend. Pretend to be generous and say, no, no, no. You can cry about it after. And think, did he have to get the appetizer? But grab the check. Pretend. Right? And listen, when you go out and you eat dinner and your waiter or your waitress goes above and beyond and they treat you really well. Don't just tell them Jesus loves them. <laughs> and leave a dollar. Pretend to be generous. Act. Are you following what I'm saying? If these things are real, even if they seem fake, pretend that they're real. Pretend that you're happy. Take action. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. I got two more verses. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 3. We all know this story. The Syrians had come and laid siege. The people in the city were eating dung and dying of starvation. And lepers were sitting right outside the gate. And they asked themselves a question. Why do we sit here? Until we die. Right. And so they took action. And here's the amazing thing, when they got up from where they were and they just took action, they they just they weren't sure what was going to happen, but they just took action. They they did something. They said, if we go into the city, what's the worst that can happen? They reject us and we die. If we go to the Syrians and they kill us, we die. If we sit here, we die. So we're going to go die somewhere. Let's go die with us some money. <laughs> so they went into the Syrian camp and they discovered listen, Are y'all listening to me? Something they never would have discovered if they had not taken action. They discovered the Syrians were gone, you know, and, you know, so they went into the first tent and they found some loot and they did the same thing I would do. They went and hit the loop. Then they went into another tent and said, the second tent's better than the first tent. Let's hide this loot, too. And then they came to the and they said, you know what? This ain't right. Let's go tell everyone in the city. Life can open up for you and I if we'll take action and quit thinking that what God has ordained for us is to sit here and die. No, God wants you to pretend if you need to, but put one foot in front of the other and act as if what he has done for you is the reality of life. Act as if you're blessed. Act as if you're whole. Act as if those scars, those wounds, those pains, those voices are stilled and you've been healed of it. In closing, Luke chapter 6. Act as if your pastor doesn't preach long. Yeah, by saying, Pastor, you got 20 more minutes. I ain't got nowhere to go. Luke chapter six. Fake it. I'm easily fooled. Luke chapter six, verse 46. Jesus is speaking out of the Passion Translation. What good does it do for you to say, I'm your Lord and Master? If what I teach you is not put into practice. Verse 47. Let me describe the one who truly follows me and does what I say. He is like a man who chooses the right place to build a house and then lays a deep and secure foundation. When the storms and the floods rage against that house. It continues to stand strong and unshaken through the tempest. For it has been wisely built on the right foundation. Then he continues, but the one who has heard my teaching and does not obey it is like a man who builds a house without laying any foundation whatsoever. When the storms and the floods rage against that house, it will immediately collapse and become a total loss. And then he asks this question of which. Which of these two builders will you be? I don't know any better way to end today than to ask what the master asked. Which of these two builders will you be? If we hear and we never respond, we treat everything as if it's a fantasy. It's just another sermon. Then we're like, according to what Jesus said, we're like the one who we build a house, we build a life, we build a dream, but without any foundation whatsoever. And when the storms come and baby, they will come. When the storms come, your house collapse and then we blame it on God. But we can be that other type of builder who, when we hear it, it might seem odd, it might seem like it don't fit. You know, it, it, it's quite a paradigm shift in the mind to be born poor, white trash, unwanted, unloved, feeling untalented. And I'm talking about myself. So insecure that if I stood in more than in front of more than two people, I became a stutterer. That was me. I lied consistently and constantly because everyone I ever loved abandoned me. So I figured if I could pretend to be someone other than who I was, because clearly who I was was not sufficient to earn anyone's love, so I lied about who I was. Celebrities I've never met became my first cousins. (laughs) Y'all ever heard of Steve Miller? Ain't no relation, but when I was growing up, that was my cousin. And if you don't love me because I'm Jimmy Miller, love me because I'm the cousin of Steve Miller. It's quite a paradigm shift to finally realize. I'm born again. I'm not unwanted. I'm not unloved. I'm not untalented. And a lot of people confuse that confidence with. Pride. It's not pride at all. It's what he did. And so when we hear his word, we respond to it by saying, yes, that's me. I'm the beloved of the Lord. I'm prospered. I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. I'm everything he has ever declared. I am. That's my identity. Oh, the accusers will rise up and they'll cue. Who do you think you are? You're no better than me. It's not about being better. It's about being different. If you're born again, you're a brand new species. So throw off the old labels receive the new ones and rise up and live the life God has ordained for you and become the people God has dreamed. You're beautiful. You're special. You're loved. You're treasured. And you hold within you the hope of glory. That's Christ himself. Everything he is. So are we in this world. Stand to your feet.